Welcome to the Intersection of Faith and the Culture. It's Walt Bullers. We're talking about the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, normally here with David and Tim Barton, but today we're going to head out to the Pro Family Legislators Conference and pick up right where we left off yesterday with Justin Haskins and also Donald Kendall. They're talking about ESG. Let's dive right back in where we left off yesterday. If you missed yesterday, it's available on our website right now at wallbullerslive.com. Here we are at the Pro Family Legislators Conference. In the report, it's about sustainable banking. They say this, most major banks screen their lending portfolios against specific ESG risks as per the OECD due diligence guidance, and many embrace negative or positive screening for potential corporate lending transactions or project finance transactions. Screening strategies filter potential transactions using predetermined ESG criteria to rule companies in or out of contention for financing. Could they be any clearer? I don't think so. But we're going to go to another example. Yeah, I mean, you don't need many more examples than that, but I think we have time. Go ahead. Right, right. (laughs) This is from an actual Bank of America report. I found this by going through their annual report in their section on ESG. In their annual report, they had a footnote that talked about their policies for ESG. Yes, I am a nerd. This is what I found in this. It talks about how they go about screening companies out what they look at once a a, a loan officer has determined this might be a potentially problematic company. And these are some of the things that they look at. It says here they look at their land and water use impacts. So if you're interested in agriculture, I know there's some people out there who care about that issue very much. That's one of the things they look at. A remediation reclamation track record, climate risk reporting, community and stakeholder engagement, and overall transparency. Evaluation of social issues may include a review of the client's relationship with relevant civil society organization. So are you uh, with Black Lives Matters or not? Because that might be relevant to them. And a particular focus on stakeholder engagement with local communities, including indigenous peoples and First Nations uh, relations. Then later on, they talked about more of these things. Reviewed material may include regulatory filings, uh, environmental and social impact reports and assessments, climate change, financial disclosures, ESG and corporate social responsibility reports, and a media search that is focused on environmental and social reputational risk. So are you saying the right things in the media? Because if you're not, you're not saying the right things on social media, you're not doing the right things when you go on television and radio, then maybe we can't give you a loan because that's a reputational risk. That's coming from Bank of America. This is their policy. So it's not a conspiracy theory. It's real. We can, because I'm, I know, I'm not (laughs) going to get to everything. But it kind of just shows you again, another example of just how subjective all of this is. It's not just a a numbers game. This is, it all boils down to these different things that he's pointed out here. Right. So uh, another one of the coercion you talked about was the investment firms. And whenever anyone's talking about the great reset or ESG, inevitably BlackRock comes up into the conversation. So can you explain their role in all this? Right. So. Um, The next big uh, grouping here from coercion is asset managers, big finance. And here we've got uh, on on the screen here, we have um, the major players who are in something called the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero. This is one of many kinds of groups like this. This is a consortium of 
various groups of major corporations and asset managers and financial institutions and insurance companies, all who have committed to a variety of environmental standards, ESG standards, okay? So what they've said is, at bare minimum, they have to say that they're going to kill all fossil fuel-related activities from all of their business practices by 2050 and that they got to start doing it really soon. Sometimes it's 2030, it depends on the group, all right? So there's a whole bunch of different groups here. You have asset managers, you have asset owners, you have uh, Net Zero Banking Alliance, we talked about the banks, Net Zero Financial Service Providers, Net Zero Insurance Companies, but the bigger, the biggest ones are the asset managers, okay? This is your BlackRocks, Vanguard, State Street Global Advisors, uh, JP Morgan Chase, Fidelity, et cetera. They all own massive, massive amounts of assets, and they use those assets to coerce corporations, which are publicly traded companies, to do whatever these people want them to do. So if you are not going in line with ESG practices, so if you don't, for example, have the right ratio of Asian to Hispanic workers, that's a real thing in an ESG metric, then maybe there's no money for you. Even if, even if they've already invested in your company, they own stock, right? The biggest stockholders in America are, are uh, um, J.B. Morgan Chase is one, Morgan Stanley is another, BlackRock is number one, Vanguard, State Street Global Advisors. Together, the top 10 asset managers control $34 trillion of wealth. $34 trillion. All consumer spending combined every year in America is about 12. So why would a corporation care what regular people think when the asset managers are the ones that control much more wealth? Total wealth for all these groups combined, assets under management, $150 trillion globally. $150 trillion. There is no way to compete with this if you're just looking at lining up money and assets to try to combat it. It's impossible. All of the major institutions, many of the European governments, they're all in line with this. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a hundred and fifty trillion reasons to go uh, to go along with this ESG scheme. It's a hundred and fifty trillion dollars self fulfilling prophecy because when we were first talking about ESG or like before we kind of got involved in it, the argument against it was like, oh, it's a bad investment. Anyone that puts their money in these types of funds, uh, they're just going to lose out to a regular fund. But when you have backers that are supporting this to the tune of a hundred and fifty trillion dollars. I have to keep looking because I want to say billion. Trillion dollars. That's, uh, that's going to make sure that uh, they pick the winners and the losers. Right. So, so then the, the third form yeah, of coercion, ahead. Justin, uh, you know, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a conservative type uh, conference if we didn't talk about the role of government. So how do, they, how do they put their thumbs on the scales? Right. So I wish I had a lot more time to talk about this, but I don't, unfortunately. We're doing good. We're doing so there, there's a whole bunch of things that the Biden administration has done. This is the first pro-ESG, first pro-Great Reset organ, uh, uh, administration we've ever had in the United States. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. Barack Obama laid the framework for some of this stuff, but Joe Biden has gone headlong into it. We have quotes from people in the Biden administration openly talking about how great 
ESG is. John Kerry, the climate czar, is one of the biggest ones. Huge supporter of ESG, huge supporter of the Great Reset. Um, The Biden administration has done a whole bunch of different things. The SEC has an office that's dedicated entirely to ESG and making sure that companies are actually following through on their ESG promises. So when they tell everyone, yeah, we're green, we're we're woke, everybody loves it. The SEC has an office dedicated entirely to just making sure that that's actually happening and then enforcing it. And they're starting to roll out various regulations in line with that. We have the Made in America office. This is one of my favorite ones. This was a 2021 thing. Basically, what Joe Biden did was he created this office that said, America should buy from Americans. So our government's going to buy American. And that sounds great, right? We want to buy American. We shouldn't be buying from China. No doubt about it whatsoever. But it's not just any American company that they buy from. See, it's only the good American companies. And how do we know who the good American companies are? Well, thankfully, we have a social credit scoring system for that that tells us who the good companies are. So they spend hundreds of billions of dollars a year, the government, in these contracts, and they're using that money as a way to promote ESG causes. Can can I just point out one thing about this Made in America office? (laughs) So Made in America office, you just take the letters of that, Mao. Yeah. It's the Mao agency. It's Biden the Mao thought agency. this was a good idea to create the I feel Mao like agency. It has to be intentional, right? I don't I mean, know. I don't that's got to be intentional. <laughs> so then you have a first movers coalition. This is another thing the Biden administration did. This is an official partnership between the U.S. State Department and the World Economic Forum. That's the people who launched the Great Reset. It's an official government partnership that involves the World Economic Forum and the Biden administration and a whole bunch of large companies that control billions of dollars in wealth. This has to do with purchases that are aligned with ESG causes. All right, folks, quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to All Builders. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. The Second Amendment to the Constitution, which guarantees to every individual the right to keep and bear arms, has been targeted for years now by those who are determined to dismantle the individual right to self-protection. Opponents argue that only the militia, the military, and law enforcement are to have and use firearms. But those who wrote the Second Amendment strenuously disagreed, including founding father Richard Henry Lee, a signer of the Declaration, a president of the Continental Congress, and one of those who actually framed the Second Amendment? He declared, To preserve liberty, it is essential that the whole body of the people always possess arms and be taught alike, especially when young, how to use them. For more information about Richard Henry Lee and the history of the Second Amendment, go to wallbuilders.com. Welcome back to Wobblers. Let's jump back into the presentation out of the Pro Family Legislators Conference. And then, of course, we've had all this coordination between social media companies and the Biden administration to stop, quote unquote, misinformation. And ESG is tied in with all of that stuff. If you actually go back and read an ESG report for Facebook back in 2020, they were given a pretty mediocre score on ESG because they weren't doing enough censorship. We need more censorship. And in the, in, the, in the report itself, it's cited they weren't doing enough to stop Donald Trump from talking about a whole bunch of different issues and spreading misinformation. And then it was within maybe six to 10 months or so after that that he was kicked off the platform entirely. So maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know. But 
I'm guessing not. So let's. Yeah, and then this is the this side of the Atlantic Ocean where right. we're still pretending that ESG is just this voluntary interaction of free market forces and all of that. On the other side of the Atlantic in Europe, they're taking a little bit more of a direct approach to that. So let's yes. talk about this here. So this is one of the most important aspects of this whole story that gets no attention at all, but it should. In Europe, they're talking about creating a mandatory ESG system, not a voluntary one, not where there's just lots of coercion, but a mandatory government-imposed, government-created, government-managed ESG system in the European Union. The European Parliament has already approved this. The European uh, Commission, which is the sort of like executive branch of the European Union, has already approved another version, which is similar to the European Parliament one. Experts expect that this will be passed into law in 2023 and that it's going to take several years. It's going to roll out in pieces. But within the next three to four years, you're going to have this mandatory ESG system. Well, who cares, right? We're not in Europe. Thank God. But this this is the thing. The reason why it matters is it doesn't just apply to European companies. It applies to anyone who does business in Europe. So if you're Coca-Cola and you sell Coke in, I don't know, Switzerland or something, then you have to adhere to the European Union's ESG system throughout all sorts of aspects of your business practice. And it's not just if you do business, so maybe you don't do business in Europe, maybe that doesn't matter to you, okay. But if you do business with any company that does business in Europe, you also have to adhere to these ESG systems, upstream or downstream. So if you're the paper supplier or a a financial services company or whatever, and you provide some sort of service to some large corporation in Europe, you have to produce an ESG report showing them that you're in compliance with Europe's ESG system. And what corporation, major corporation, is going to say, you know what, we'll just pull out of Europe because we don't like ESG? None of them. They're all going to go along with this because they would rather make money in Europe and adhere to their stupid ESG system than lose all of that money. They don't care. Most of them agree to it anyway, and most of them already have ESG in place. So if if something isn't done about ESG, we're not just going to have to worry about our own domestic ESG system. We're going to have to adhere to Europe's ESG system as well. Yeah, and the corporations that do do business in Europe, and they have to, they have to change up all their things so that they fit that mandate – they just more incentive for them to try to uh, advocate the same type of mandates in the United States, where if they have any competitors, now those competitors would be forced to jump through all these hoops, too. So it's a it's a big cycle with all of this stuff. So another another question that we often get is like, all right, you know, you, you brought up the, the China social credit score, but this is talking about businesses. Uh, is it ever going to filter down to like an individual level? And we're already starting to see signs of that. So, Justin, let, let's talk about this, too. Right. Okay, so essentially, uh, there's this idea that businesses are, are, are the only ones that we have to worry about, okay? If we could, individuals don't have to worry about ESG, there are no individual ESG scores, et cetera. So what I first want to show you is off to the right here, and I know it, the text is kind of small, but off to the right here is a picture of an actual individual's ESG score in the United States, okay? This comes from a, he actually, he actually works with us at the Heartland Institute, and uh, he's just a regular guy, regular in investment accounts, doesn't have a whole lot of money, and um, he was given this ESG score by Merrill Lynch. He has a Merrill Lynch account. They automatically produce ESG scores for every single one of their clients at Merrill Lynch, whether you ask for it or not, it's there. If you have a Merrill Lynch account right now, you can find it if you go to the right place. You have an ESG score. As you can see, by the way, 
uh, maybe some of you in the front can see, he had a 4.7 out of 10. So he's a degenerate, not very good. Uh, he's got a score in environmental, social, and governance. How do they come up with this score? Well, the way they come up with the score is by looking at his investments. And they say, who are you investing in? And if you're investing in the wrong people, you get a low score. You're investing in the right people, you get a right score. Now, is there any punishment for this? No, there's no punishment for this. And that was their main complaint when we brought this up on the air with Glenn Beck. Uh, there's no punishment. We're just, it's just advice. It's just advice. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want their advice. So, and, and what are they going to use with it in the future? Where does it go from here? All right. They're not the only ones that have this. JP Morgan has a private bank. That's bank for rich people. And they, as a feature, offer ESG scores related to the purchases that you make, okay? So the, the reason I want to show this is that the technology already exists to give individuals ESG scores. It's just how they're using it that might change. Number two and three are related. These are net zero commitments by banks and net zero commitments by insurance companies. The reason I want to bring this up, we've already talked about this, but the reason I wanted to bring this up is to hammer home this point, that it is impossible for a bank or an insurance company to be truly net zero, which they have all pledged to do, unless they know every single person's use of, of uh, fossil fuels. They have to know it. They have to know that you have solar panels on the roof of your home. They have to know what kind of car you drive. They have to have some sense of these things. If you're a small business, they have to know what you're doing in your business. If they don't know, then they can't be net zero. They can't. And it specifically says that it's net zero in all of their financing activities. So they have to have an ESG score for individuals or at least your property, which I think is the way they're going to get around it. They may not give you an ESG score, but your home will have one. Your car will have one. Every, your job will have one. Every aspect of your life will have one. And then they'll know that they're really being net zero because they can look at all of those things and collect that data. Number four is from FICO. FICO is the biggest credit scoring agency for individuals in, uh, in America, certainly. And um, FICO produced a, an analyst at FICO produced a report that was predictions for 2022. And in it, in that report, FICO predicted, we expect to see an increased focus on bringing ESG data into more granular lending and investment decisions rather than business decisions, which is what came before this. Over the longer term, we expect that ESG and climate risk evaluations will become an integral element of credit risk and affordability assessments. This is talking about individuals. So this is the leader in individual credit scoring saying, we think this is going to happen soon, probably in 2022 it's going to start, and then after that it's going to get a whole lot worse. So we know that it's happening because even the industry itself is saying, well, yeah, it's going to happen. Of course it's going to happen, right? And then we have a whole bunch of examples of individuals. This is the last point here a whole bunch of examples of individuals actually being targeted by banks. Um, and we could go on and on and on oh, sure. with talking about this. Wall Builders is actually putting together a, sort of a database and a map, I think, that's going to include stories from people all across the country where they had banks deny them access to capital for their businesses or individuals on the basis of e some element of ESG. But the most famous example of this, the easiest one, is Donald Trump. Okay, several banks came out after the uh, January 6th stuff and said, you know what, we're done doing business with you. Not because you don't have any money, not because you were bad clients, but because we don't like you and you're a reputational risk. That's what they use. We have examples of them doing this with local Republican parties. We have examples of them doing this with small businesses, Moms for Liberty, all these different groups. We have examples of them targeting individuals and saying, eh, we don't want to do business with you anymore. 
So there's no doubt whatsoever that individuals are being targeted. It's already started and it's going to get worse as things go along. Yeah, I I have a feeling that that 4.7 score would make Donald Trump look like. uh, Yeah, I don't think he, (laughs) I don't know if he's getting that 4.7. I don't don't think so. So these major corporations, they have uh, whole departments that are that are dedicated to ESG compliance. And their whole job is to measure all these different metrics and report them and all of that. But small businesses, medium businesses, how could they possibly figure out what their ESG score is, right? It seems like a giant, a giant uh, blind spot for this plan, right? Nope. Talk about this, Justin. Yeah, th- this is one of my favorite aspects of all of this. And by favorite, I mean really horrifying. Um, they ha- one of the biggest problems is how do we make sure that small businesses and medium-sized businesses who are not voluntarily reporting ESG, how do we make sure they have ESG scores too? Because it's not fair to say Pizza Hut that probably produces an ESG report to compete with the mom and pop pizza shop down the street that does not produce an ESG report, right? So this, you can imagine, is one of the biggest complaints from big corporations. Well, if they're not doing it, why should we have to do it? Final break of the day, folks. We'll be right back here on Wallbuilder. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity, If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. Welcome back to Wobblers. So let's jump right back in for the conclusion of this presentation on ESG at the Pro Family Legislators Conference. So Moody's uh, came up with this really ingenious plan. If you don't have an ESG score, we're just going to invent one for you. We're going to give it to you. So don't worry about it. So what they did is they came up with an algorithm. They came up with a tool. It's called ESG Score Predictor. All right. And this is, this is from Moody's directly. This is how they're, this is how they're touting it. The ESG score predictor leverages state-of-the-art advanced analytics to provide 56 ESGs and subscores for, quote, any given company using location, sector, and size. Now, Moody's claims that its score predictor, coupled with its database of self-reported ESG scores, offers customers, quote, perspectives on more than 140 million public and private companies globally. In other words, any company in the world, anywhere, no matter how big it is, already has an ESG score. And all you have to do is pay Moody's a whole bunch of money and they'll tell you what it is. That's how it works. This is not publicly available. They won't actually give you access to this database unless you pay a lot of money. And we've been trying to get access to it for about 10 months. For some reason, they don't want to give it to me. I don't know why. I can't even imagine it. But uh, there is, we may be on the verge of getting access to it, but they might only do it if I sign a non-disclosure agreement. Oh, is that right? That's yeah, a new development. The, we were trying to get rule. this ready for this right. conference, but I really wanted to show it. But the bottom line is this: if you don't have an ESG score, 
They're going to make it up for you. That's what they're going to do. So everyone is going to have to comply. And if you think about this, it makes a lot of sense, right? They give you an ESG score. You don't like it, right? You think this is unfair. I don't like this ESG score. Well, what is your only remedy? Make your own ESG report, right? Participate in the system. Be involved with everyone. Join the global community. And then if you produce your own ESG report, then yeah, your score will probably go up. Maybe, I don't know, but that's what they're going for clearly. That's clearly what they're going for. So every company in the, almost every company in the world has it. How can they come up with this? How can they make this score up? Uh, It says here it's based on location, sector, and size. So essentially what they do is they say, okay, what kind of business are you in? How big is your business? Where are you located? Uh, Generally speaking, businesses of your size and your industry and your location have an ESG score of X, Y, and Z. So based on our algorithm, we think it'll be about that. That's how they do it. It's insane. But this is the system that they're putting into place. So Justin, we got about a minute before this clock starts beeping at me and we do have a couple more slides. So do you want to quickly go through the pension thing or should we yeah, just let, let's let's very let's very okay. quickly go through the pension thing. Okay. So very the reason quick. I want to bring this up is one of the ways that we're fighting back against the states have started fighting back against this is through pensions. Okay, and what states have decided is, you know, we're not going to participate in this. We're not going to use our money as a state and our pension funds to participate in this ESG system. We're not going to be giving it to BlackRock and other big asset managers with this ESG system. And I think that is awesome. It is so good that we're doing this. However, I want us to keep in perspective what these numbers actually show. This is and this is from, I think, 2020. So this is not going to be completely accurate. But relatively speaking, this is how pensions break down in the United States. Okay, all state and municipal pensions combined for Democratic state blue states, $2.5 trillion. $1.357 trillion for red states and about $539 billion for what I call purple states. All right, blue states are backing ESG 100%. Okay, 100% backing it. And many red states are already backing that as well. Um, So as you can see, This creates a problem for us if we're only going through one way of trying to deal with this issue. And then just one last slide, and then I promise I'll get off this Possible taking a $2 trillion bite out of ESG is great, but let's compare that to the $150 trillion uh, pie chart that we're talking about. So so we tried to jam as much information. We're already out of time here. We tried to jam as much information as is possible. There's an entire book's worth that we've uh, that we've uh, uh, uncovered here. So if you have any questions, we'll be lingering around here. You could also send emails and inquiries and all of that to stopesg at heartland.org or just go to heartland.org at the top. There'll be a stop ESG thing. You can find all types of resources for that. But thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. That was Justin Haskins. You were listening to co-author of The Great Reset with Glenn Beck also director of the Socialism Research Center and editorial director and research fellow at the Heartland Institute, also from the Heartland Institute, Donald Kendall. Appreciate them sharing that presentation at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference, and thank you for listening to that presentation. We try to bring you as many of these as we can, but we sure appreciate you listening to Waldo. We stand undivided.